Have a seat, and on your way to your seat, uh, blow a kiss to somebody near you, would you? Let's, let's make it fun here, right? Right? And uh, let me just say aloha, aloha, because you're all looking at it, and you're wondering, what's the deal? And no, I didn't go to Hawaii, but here is the deal. This has the look of lemonade, Right? So I got cash. I got actually a check. It's more than cash. And I'm going to buy at least two lemonades, one for me and one for little Deb. And I'm bringing it home. You heard me say it in front of everybody uh, after we're done with our time together today. But um, it's so good to be together. Amen. If you wonder where uh, I got inspired from, um, from the song, first of all, the song, Krista, just knocked me over. And I think all of us would say, holy, holy, holy. Yeah, amen, amen. And just beautifully drawn out and uh, kind of customizes with current touches. It just br brought us all together as one, which we are, which is really a great thing. But all that came from long ago, not Revelation. It came from even before that, all the way back in Isaiah 6. I guess you could also go clear back to, like, Exodus when Moses met God on the mountain. Take off your sandals you're on holy ground but Isaiah was the one that was on my mind and if you want to read that story for yourself and kind of freshly appreciate the song we just sang and the truth behind it go to Isaiah 6 sometime today and uh, I know I say different passages along the way but just go there and you'll find a wonderful statement about God's holiness but not just a statement any of us can say that but Isaiah was changed by that truth and I believe that we uh, will be today because of uh, our time together with a God that changes lives. So I want to say uh, thank you to John Moore, who's um, uh, just been a bro to stand in uh, when Debbie and I have had these moments. They're not, some of them planned far in advance. Um, they are, they're just depending on uh, availability of, of opportunities, but mostly her ability and, and health. And her, she's stable. You, many of you ask that every week, and I wanted you to know that. She's in remission. And, um, yeah, amen. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw it, but we were down a, at a beach house that was loaned to us by uh, dear friends. And um, Marianne's son, uh, Stephen, and his wife, Jesse. And they, they, they just said, hey, come hang out at the beach. And we're roaming around and looking around, and they had two bikes, bicycles. And I don't know if you've ridden on the beach, but we did. And we were like 20-year-olds, right? It was just so cool. And, uh, and you could, I thought you'd get stuck, you know, but uh, we didn't. And we just rode and had a blast, uh, you know. And, and um, so some of you saw those pictures, but it's true. We're, we're, we're doing good, and Debbie's doing well. So thank you for your continued prayers. And uh, the, the, uh, the fight goes on. Amen. That's, that's the deal. Um, <clears throat> oh, children, I guess I should have said go, but you've gone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here's the deal. Um, a generation ago, there was a sociologist who uh, did a landmark study. That's a generation ago, long time ago, on the American way of life. And... Uh, he, uh, his name is Robert Bella, and he published his findings in a uh, book that he wrote called Habits of the Heart. 
Robert Bella. Among his discoveries was the disturbing trend that he saw. This is a generation ago. And he labeled it radical individualism. Some of you are reaching for a pen. You can write that one down. Radical individualism. Uh, He spoke those words when people were real good about getting together and being committed to some kind of group or organization. They prided themselves in being a, you know, Elks member, whatever it happens to be. But we were, we, were, we were into things like togetherness and group and community. But he saw something that concerned him, and he called attention to it with those two words, radical individualism. Sensing a hint of that, that pleasure we had in people's company might give way well before iPhones and whatever else, um, that that might be waning. Among his discoveries um, was an interview that he had with people about matters of faith, which got my extra attention. And, uh, and, and he asked the simple question. It's a good question today. You might have this question over lemonade later. Uh, what to you is the church? It's a great question. I doesn't hint one way or another, just tell us what you think that the church is. But one respondent to his question answered plainly, I am my own church. And he didn't know what to do with that response, much like you and I this morning. Wait a minute, I am my own church? I started thinking right away of, uh, wasn't it Matthew 18 when Jesus said, uh, where two or more are gathered? So are you getting half of his attention if you're I? I mean, I just, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to be cute, but it, yes, I am really. But um, anyway, um, that's like ask, ask a child, maybe bring it closer to planet Earth here for a second. What is a family? Take it to your grandkids, your kids. What is a family to you? And, and it would be like that child saying, well, I am my own family. You'd go, you need help. <laughs> Got just the right psychologist for you. You know, it would be. So for two decades now, according to the Barna Research Group, which tends to be fairly uh, reliable, uh, weekly togetherness, my word for church gatherings, weekly church gatherings in every age group study has dropped. I'm not describing Grace Point alone. I, for a while, prided myself that that wasn't our problem. But I'm describing the church at large. For over two decades, that's a 20-year, if you like trend lines and like to look at statistics, it goes like this. And then came COVID, right? And with it, the first ever church lockdown, at least in my lifetime. Overnight, churches were forced to pivot or perish. We knew that, 
wise leadership here said, let's do that. And we pivoted. And um, with most other churches, though we were not permitted to meet together, and there's been ongoing controversy about that, um, we shut the building down but kept the church open. Um, at its low in America, that would be July 2020, only 13% of U.S. adults attended church services during the previous month. Let's just round it down to one out of ten. And here at Grace Point, with huge amounts of flexibility, and I'm calling out our staff on this, and leadership, our elders, uh, we, we persevered. And in-person ministry eventually resumed. Um, but what most churches had expected, and you're looking at a pastor that would put my name in that group, I fully expected what most churches expected, and that would be a bounce back. I thought, you know, I, I, I have no trouble remembering those days when we were shut down, and I would be in this building all alone at times and weep and just think, what is this about, God? I don't get it. If you're going to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us, you said in Matthew 16. But this sure seems like an exception. What's going on here? And, and so I, with many pastors across our country and around the world, expected something of a bounce. Probably, how many, raise your hand, thought that would be true too. Right? I mean, we wanted that. It was this pinned up uh, longing for togetherness. But this is hard. Today, according to Pew Research, which I'm a weekly reader of their input, um, P-E-W, like Church Pew, but it's not a Christian organization. It's Pew Research. According to them, this is current now, only 27%, that's a quarter, of U.S. adults have attended a church service during the previous month. It's that troubling fact that has me wanting to break from Acts for one Sunday and share with you today some things that are on my heart. I'm partially talking to you who are in the house, we call it. You've come to the home, Grace Point home. But I'm talking to you who are not here as well. And I'm looking at the camera right now, and I in particular mean not just you who are watching from home, because there are many of you that I know personally that this is your lifeline. This, without this, you couldn't be here. You couldn't sing holy, holy, holy. But um, there are a growing number that aren't here and occasionally are watching when it's convenient, when they remember to do so. And I'm even talking deeper to those of you who have said, you know what? Pastor, you're being uh, kind. I, 
if you want to call me out, you can call me out. I, I rarely am part of either anymore. And when the Bible tells pastors like me to know well the condition of your flock, it burdens my heart greatly that the condition, not, not by many of you, but by some is not well. Uh, I have some further alarming information on my heart today. This by Christianity Today. They made headlines when they declared empty pews. And let me just stop right now and have you look around at empty chairs. So empty pews, they say, are an American public health crisis. Wow. The CDC has recently released a jolting report, and I quote, the U.S. suicide rate is the highest it's been since WW2. So empty pews are an American public health crisis, according to CT, Christianity Today. And the CDC, which doesn't have a dog in the fight, we would assume. They're just saying what's true. Points to an epidemic of suicide not seen since World War II. That, those two facts, despite this fact, presented by the Institute for Family Studies. You can look them up. They're a research group that revealed earlier this year, quote, Religious service attendance, that's us people, according to them, okay? I don't call us religious, I call us the family of God, amen? It's a relationship with Jesus, more on that in a sec. But religious uh, service attendance, they say, is linked to less depression, lower suicide rates, and decreased drug and alcohol abuse. So put it together, people. This is the place to be, right? Okay, does that mean some of you are not depressed? No. The numbers are better in this gathering, and you who, because you have to be online and can't be in the house, are part of this. The numbers are better for us. There's lower suicide rates. There's less depression. And there's decreased drug and alcohol Abuse. Folks, we live in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Is it anybody else's surprise that that's a mess and it happens to be the lowest church attendance just about anywhere in the world? Certainly this country. What's up with that? Let me get personal. We know we have a problem. We know we do, but we, we ignore the only known fix. I, my wife is fighting leukemia. It would be foolish. More than a few of you would put your arm around me in passion and love and say, please take advantage of every available 
treatment to fight that monster, wouldn't you? And you have, and we do. But what would it say about us if we knew we had a huge problem and just didn't, uh, didn't even check in with the doctor? That's way too personal. I'm sorry, Debbie. Um, so this morning, my Bible's open to Hebrews chapter 3. That's where I want us to be for just a little bit here. Um, and uh, really be there. Go, go there, however you get there. There's Bibles everywhere in this room. And um, if you want to just listen, that's fine too. But Hebrews chapter 3, some counsel from the Holy Spirit. And it's meant for God's people who want to be healthy spiritually. So before I answer for everybody, show me your hand. Show me your Bible in your hand if you want to be healthy spiritually. Okay, that's the deal here, y'all. We get that, right? And that's been the premise of every moment I've stood at this podium. I'm preaching to that end, healthy people. So as you, as you turn here, here's a couple of foundational truths that are built, that every message I've ever delivered is built on. The first is this, you cannot be a Christian without Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I have to say that? There's a whole world out there that's going, I'm thinking, I'll take my chances. Pretty good, dude. I look good in a Hawaiian shirt. So what? You don't have what it takes. I have officiated at many memorials with really amazing people that have left this life. But I don't hesitate to say they were good, but not good enough. That's no insult on anybody I love and have to be in those moments for. It's just the truth that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to heaven except through me. So you can't be a Christian without Jesus. Would you take it to everybody you know this week and just remind people? And maybe somebody's going to have an epiphany and go, whoa, I just thought if I was a good guy and didn't, you know, get pulled over drunk driving, I'd be okay. No, that's not true. And then here's the second towering fact. You cannot be a healthy Christian alone. Hear me, people. If this Live stream is your replacement for this. You're making a mistake. I get it. Some of you need to be. But if this is convenience, this message is for you. If you're here today and you haven't been here in months, this message is for you. We don't take attendance here. That's legalism. I don't care about that. By the way, I live my life for an audience of one. I still do that. I want you to do that. You will be happy and healthy, and you will do silly things again because you're not under people's burden and expectation. Is that a great way to live? That's how to live for an audience of one. But the Bible, that one, Jesus, tells us some things here that we need to hear about. To attempt to be a healthy Christian Christian, 
alone is selfish and please pardon my word, stupid. You say, well, pastor, you're really getting... No, that's actually a quotation of Proverbs 18.1. He or she who separates themselves is selfish, seeks their own desire, it says in Proverbs 18.1, and quarrels against all sound wisdom. That's stupid. There it is. I know it's summer. You got to go out and squeeze summer. Guys, it's global warming. The whole world's warming up. We're going to have summer all year in Oregon eventually, okay? Gosh. So get back to church. Man. Mm. <laughs> it's so true. So you know this. My dad taught me this years ago. We need each other. We do. We do. You, you, you're only getting half of it. If you go home and go, oh, I like the songs they sang. They did so much for me. Or I like the sermon. He seemed to be on today. But what about what somebody that came here on that same morning might have sat next to you. You didn't know their name and didn't ask. But you could have and found out, hey, they're the exception. They're actually depressed right now. Maybe you could take them to lunch. Maybe you can be alongside them in a time of grieving, a season of grieving the loss of a, of a mate, of a family member. That's good. We do that. A lot of you do that so well. But some of us need to look up and beyond our own stuff, right? Let's go. So um, we need each other, and we must stick together or... May I just issue the warning, pay a terrible price. Uh, did you know that there are more than 30 New Testament commands you cannot keep alone? Will you do a Google search? Because I know you're on Google all the time, sometimes in church. But um, <laughs> messing with you. So Google one another's in the Bible. Just one another's. There's more than one. There's over 30 of them. And ask yourself, when's the last time you encouraged one another alone? When's the last time you bore one another's burdens alone? When's the last time you honored one another? Okay. When's the last time you, this is a tough one, admonished one another? Admonished means, after this service, if I made a mistake, my dad gets to call me aside. <laughs> hey, don't be stupid. No, he, he gets to challenge me. He doesn't do that. He's, he's a preach it, brother, he says. Okay. So, but no, it's, it's I need it. I do. Do you? If you do, say I do. I do. So you need it from somebody else. You cannot look in the mirror and go, stop it, mister. That goes nowhere. No one saw it. No one heard it. There's no accountability. But if one of you says to me, hey, cool it, then I get to see you next week unless I change churches as people do. <laughs> Man, you got in my way. I don't like what you're saying to me. Okay, I'll leave. I'll go next door. And they don't care. Until somebody gets in your grill there and they go, hey, what's up with you? And then you go, oh, 
all Christians are that way. I don't even think I'll go to church anymore. Am I describing our day or what? Not everybody, not you. At least most of you. So, um, since radical individualism is happening, here's what the Holy Spirit has to say. And I want you to hear these words. See to it, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage, help me, one another. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Those words were written to a mostly Jewish audience, you need to know. Hebrews gives you a little hint, right, the name of this book. We're not sure who wrote it, but it doesn't matter. It's in God's word, and so we'll listen to it and learn from it. Written to mostly Jewish audience, they were second generation, generation Jesus lovers, okay, uh, who were facing some really hard stuff, heavy headwinds when it came to Jesus. Because if you come from a religion such as Judaism, it's already set and very well established, thank you, without Jesus. So when Jesus is introduced, there's, as we've been learning in Acts, a lot of pushback. But the pushback wasn't just corporate. It was individual. It was the stuff of going, you either get over this Jesus thing or you're out of this family. Or, and it was legal then, you get past this idea of Jesus being Messiah, Isaiah 53 stuff. You get over that or you're not working here anymore. That's the people that were hearing these words the first time. It was a hardship like most of us would say would tempt you to give up and go away. Sound familiar to our day? I think a little bit. If you don't feel like a Elijah from time to time, I alone, O oh Lord, am left, then, then maybe we need to have a cup of coffee and talk about why. Because I've complained. You want to know my number one complaint? You just heard it. Not that you don't, you're not part of the together, but I just feel when, the, when, the, when our numbers shrink, I'm not a numbers guy. I couldn't tell you how many are here today. I just know that there are fewer of us. And, and that's, that's a hard one. So stick together. Why is sticking together important? Well, let's, let's, let's go right back to what we just read. Um, it reduces the risk of developing something that we're all capable of, and that's a sinful, unbelieving heart. Would you look back at verse 12? See to it, brothers and sisters, none of you, that none of you has a what? A sinful, unbelieving heart. You've heard me say this a hundred times from this pulpit. God does not call your attention to a risk unless it's real. Yes, Steve McCracken is capable of a sinful, unbelieving heart. So why do we stick together? For one, to reduce the potential 
that over time, I will develop a sinful, unbelieving heart. You might say, what does that look like? It's a picture of spiritual apathy. Uh, the Greek word used here is ap apathia. It's a transliterated word we use for apathy. But it's a spiritual apathy. I'm apathetic toward television today, and most of you would go, good for you. I'm apathetic toward a whole lot of things. That's my only way to survive a world that's gone absolutely crazy. But not God. Not God. Um, it's, it's a spiritual shrug of the shoulders. If I'm successful today, you're going to leave here comforted if you're afflicted and afflicted if you're comfortable. Okay? It's, it's going to happen. That's my hope. Because apathy, it's got a twin or a close cousin. Complacency. <laughs> spiritually that's fine if the sermon's boring but today if you fall asleep I'm coming to your pew okay so just remember that it's this this deal we're talking about here this sinful unbelieving heart it's actually very slow uh, Sheldon Von Aiken I have to credit him for this in his book A Severe Mercy if you haven't read it grab Kleenex and read it it's really powerful but Sheldon Von Aiken was a peer and a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. And, um, and he described, he coined this expression, creeping separateness. Many in marriage describe their journey that way. It's a creeping separateness here toward God. He didn't just walk away. He just kind of slowly drifted. A.W. Tozer, name sound familiar? Uh, for a pastor from last century. And Tozer said this, one of the greatest foes facing Christianity, this was a hundred years ago, not quite, is spiritual complacency. I want to encourage you to do this. There's, there's almost no downside to this. Every time you read the Bible, add your name as the pronoun. Furnish your, pro, your name as the pronoun. So we would read verse 12. I would read verse 12. See to it, Steve, not brothers and sisters. See to it, Steve, that you do not have a sinful, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily, Steve. It's like it, it's, it takes it from just reading it to, oh, you got, I heard my name. This got personal again. That's what's being said here. Uh, I have a question for you on this complacency thing that A.W. Tozer referred to. Is that happening to you? Just ask the question. Your thirst for God isn't quite as strong as it used to be. You have been there, done that. I was so proud of this of us today when we sang holy, holy, holy. Because I looked around and I start with my dad and his eyes were closed. But he was singing louder than he should have. But he was singing, <laughs> he was going for it. And you know what? 
from here. It was so cool. It doesn't mean the new songs don't do that for us. It just means there's no complacency going on here. Go to his apartment, a little penthouse over there. It, it is, it is a, a Bible that's several Bibles. And he's in them all day long. And send, so, so are many of you. That's cool. The, the ones that can. You know, the rest have to work. <laughs> but uh, you get the idea, right? So no complacency here. Second reason for sticking together. Let's move on. Verse 12 also says, together reduces the risk of something way worse, turning away from the living God. Sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Ouch. Get this. These people once walked with God, but now they're at risk of actually turning away from God. What happened? I want to make a distinction quickly. They're not just turning away from the things of God, like church and prayer and reading your Bible. They used to do those things. They're not doing them anymore. Maybe giving's part of that. Serving's in there too. It's not just those things. It's way worse. The Holy Spirit is saying so. It's turning away from God himself. We sometimes see symptoms and don't go far enough in our assessment. We see symptoms like, well, I don't read the Bible as much as I used to. That's for sure. I haven't prayed in a while. I haven't served. I, I pass. I look the other way when they're looking for help. I, you know, my bank account says it all. I haven't given in a long time. But, but we don't go far enough and ask a deeper question. Does that also indicate I'm kind of going through the motions? I'm not here with God anymore. It's not me and God. You know, it used to be like that, me and God. And then sometimes it becomes me and God. There's, there's a distance. A third reason uh, for sticking together. Together gives protection against spiritual deception. Verse 13 is exactly saying that. There's a protection that, that comes from sticking together. Believing we're okay alone is a deception. Um, all right. I, um, I want to have you read deeply, so I'll point it out, and then I'm going to wrap up my thoughts. I don't need to go on and on. But um, we, we jumped into a section in Hebrews without reading verse 7 to 11 and on into verse 15. So let's do it real quick, and then I'm going to give you an assignment, okay, to make this really pop for you, okay? So 12 and 13 is the response to an illustration, a picture of God uh, giving us a graphic reminder that this isn't just a theory that Pastor Steve's telling about today. This is something that's real and actually happened long ago, repeatedly, to my people. So, as the Holy Spirit says, verse 7, today, if you hear his voice, apply that. Today, Steve, if you hear my voice, don't 
harden your hearts. Don't be like those who did so in the rebellion, verse 8, during the time of testing in the wilderness. Now some of you already know, well, that sounds kind of Exodus and Numbers, and you're right. Uh, testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always wandering away going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger to those who say God's all good now and he doesn't get ticked anymore. Well, then read at verse 11 again and rethink your answer. I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Drop down to verse 15. Just as has been said already today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Here's the rebellion. Israel had witnessed all kinds of cool stuff. If you made a list of the miracles that they saw, most everybody would envy. Man, it would have thoughts like, that would have been cool to live there. I would have loved to have faced the Red Sea, known I was going to die, and suddenly before my eyes, and we walk or dance our way through it. I would have, I would have, I can't imagine getting up every morning and not having to go to the grocery store because groceries were delivered overnight right outside my tent or RV. Uh, They're right there. It's called manna, and it was there every day, and then twice, two servings Thursday to get me through Sabbath. Friday, Friday, get me through Sabbath on Saturday. Whoa. Or how about this one? And... This is where this comes from. Not once, but twice. The, let's just say a million people. It's a lot more than that. But a whole bunch of folks are traveling through the desert. They come from Egypt, which is to the west, down in the south and to the west. They make their way to Sinai, where Moses meets with God in the mountain. And then they start out for the promised land. And not once, but twice... They got thirsty because there's no drinking fountain. And if you've been to uh, Sin, (laughs) the Valley of Sin, (laughs) um, appropriately named, I should say, um, or up into um, Kadesh Barnea, that area, it's uh, down by Hebron, south of Jerusalem. It's a, I don't know, I don't even think scorpions live there. They just... There's nothing to drink or eat. It's horrible. That's where God's people wandered for 40 years. At the beginning of their wandering, right after the seas parted, just two chapters later, Exodus 17, guess what? Hey, where's the water? How are you going to take care? God, you said you're going to take care of us. You're going to lead us to the land. Where's the water? We're, 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 can't we need water god tells moses touch the rock and the water came gushing forth not only for people but animals and everything else right story's all right there you need to read exodus 17 and you need to read numbers 20 for the second moment where we're 40 years later now i know i'm moving quickly exodus 17 just a few weeks later Numbers 20 
37 years later, so 40 years, think 40 years, same problem. God had showed them for 40 years, I'm going to take care of you. And they're crying out again. The two words are complaining and testing. Meribah, Meribah. Um, they, are, they are locations that are forever remembered. You can really research it on your own and get a lot more than I'm able to give you right now. But this single verse gives you God's view of people that he had provided for, what we just read here, but who hardened their hearts. I've described the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. This is how God saw it in one verse. Numbers 14, verse 20. Listen. They all saw my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Don't, don't imagine God with a stick when you read Exodus 14, 22. Hear him with a heart that's hurting. With a heart that says, what will it take? I've given you so much. And you keep testing me. He described it correctly. It's a hard heart. And this is a huge issue to God. If you want another passage to write down that you've got to read, read it. It's in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10. It's one of my favorite because two places, verse 6 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul, the human writer, takes you back on a journey to the Old Testament. And then he says twice, not once, twice, these things happen to those people as an example for you. It means don't read it as history. Read it as reality. It could happen to you. And in fact, in many cases, I think it is. Um, I'll, I'll just leave you with two other quick thoughts. Uh, look at the, this expression repeats in what we've read already this morning. See to it, brothers uh, and sisters, that none of you, see that? That none of you. And then verse 13, encourage one another day after day so that none of you, the same thing's happening here. He's pointing to the past, and he's, it's written in the emphatic in Greek. It's for your purpose. It's engage if the boot fits. That's, the, that's what we're talking about here. So we're to do two things. Um, we've worked over verses 12 and 13 pretty well, but there, this is still there. Be encouraging always. That would be the first takeaway. Would you write that down? Be encouraging, not occasionally, constantly, always. Um, Encourage daily. That's what he's saying there. Um, <clears throat> see that verse 13? Encourage one another daily. Uh, it's the same word, by the way, some of you know this, that is used to describe the Holy Spirit. He is the encourager. He comes alongside and 
can I ask you from your experience with the Holy Spirit, how often do you visit with him? Sort of a trick question, not really. Constantly, right? So what's the Holy Spirit? One of the things he does constantly is encourage. Comes alongside me and says, hey, hang in there, bro. Don't, don't lose heart. Comes alongside to encourage. Man, it's comfort. Uh, and I'm not the only one, I don't think, but restore confidence. He does all that constantly. We're told to do the very same thing. Um, and it's the kind of stuff that happens together when we're together. Um, I want to leave you with sobering words. Not from a study, not from Barna, not from Pew, not from Robert Bella, not from anybody I've mentioned this morning. These words come in the second to the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Happens to be 1 Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away completely from the faith. And they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that do not come from God, but rather from the devil. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. So I'm letting you know a little secret here. Um, what are those deceptive teachings that will be true and many in the last days? I think it's what we've been talking about this morning. It's the, the, the teaching that says I can be a successful Christian alone. It's straight out of the playbook of the enemy of our soul when we think that way. Stop in your tracks if you're thinking that way. You know what? You've never sat next to an imperfect or to a perfect person. And they have never sat next to you as a, as a perfect person. So that's not a good excuse. Um, we need to stick closer together. Um, I'm convinced of one thing. I am not my own church. And neither are you. And radical individualism, I am certain of it, ruins lives. And I'm so glad you're here. It's why I, I kind of get misty when you get in your car and go home. Because I know it's going to be more than comfortable until we get together again. Let's get together. And let's do it often. Together, we're better. I'd like you to bow your heads with me. And, um, this, this journey we're on, Lord, is long. And uh, remember the song that I loved as a kid, uh, the road is long with the many winding paths that lead us to who knows where. Well, we know where. It's heaven. But um, 
We're strong, strong enough to carry on because our brother and sister, they ain't heavy, they're our brother and sister. They're, they're what we need. They're the people that are on assignment to take care of me. And there's a comma after that. I'm on assignment to take care of them. I pray that you would put a boldness in our hearts, Lord, as your people, as your community. We're part of your community by your design. And it's how you intended Jesus lovers to live fully for you. I pray that we would be people that are willing to pick up a phone and say, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? I call because I care. And I pray that that would not be met with resistance. It will be at times, but that there will be moments when people go, oh, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer to that. I just know I've been away. You want to change that, Lord, because you're the leader of our lives all the way until the day. And I pray that we would be stronger and better and more focused on encouraging one another daily. Because you said we can see to it, you believe that we can and should do it. So help us as we respond to you in worship. All the way my Savior leads me. Uh, all the way until we are home. Thank you that you lead us often through a brother or sister. Let's stand together. Let's respond in a great song.